When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and I wanted to remind you all that on April 4th, Slate will be releasing a book anthology of some of my best Dear Prudence columns. So please do keep an eye out for that. Uh, It's available for pre-order now or starting April 4th will be available for purchase in bookstores and everywhere else. In the meantime, I have some questions to answer today, and my guest this week is Sharon Lurie, a data journalist based in New Orleans. She formerly taught middle school math. Sharon, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here, Danny. This is very exciting. Did you like teaching middle school math? Was it? Did you enjoy it? Would you recommend it? Well, I love the kids, and I love math. Uh, so no uh, brainer. Partic- it was great, right? Uh, there were difficulties about it, and I felt that I was not uh, properly uh, prepared or given the right resources. So my particular experience, I would not recommend. But I do love teaching in general. But while I was teaching middle school math, I also founded the student newspaper, and I realized that I was so much more invested in being the advisor for the student newspaper and like editing students' columns about homecoming dance than anything else I was doing. So I took that as a sign that I should go back to journalism. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that that led you down the right path. I ended up Googling middle school math just to see what it is and was immediately distracted by uh, middle school math questions, stumps politicians during debate. Uh, And then I got really mad because it was in metric and I feel like I should have been prepared. Yeah, we didn't do anything with the metric system. Also, middle school was from fifth grade to eighth grade. So it was a huge range of ages because the fifth graders are tiny, tiny children. And the eighth graders are like basically adults already. I have always wondered this. Why is it that some schools start middle school in fifth grade and other normal schools start junior high in seventh grade? I realize I've betrayed my preference just now, but... It was actually a K through eight school. So it's just that like once you got to fifth grade, you got a different uniform and like started having multiple teachers for different periods and stuff. But halfway through the year, we realized that the fifth graders did not know that they were in middle school. Like we had to break it to them because we were like, you guys really should be acting better. You're in middle school. And they were like, no, we're not. 
we're, we're fifth grade, we're elementary schoolers. And, and me and the other teachers had to be like, no, you're middle schoolers. That's why your class schedule is different and you have different uniforms. Well, who can blame them? That's To me, if you put them in a K-8 school, you can't blame anybody for not understanding. But my feeling that I have just arrived at and which I now feel very, very strongly about is that we should standardize across the country when elementary school ends and it should be correctly in sixth grade and when junior high ends, which should be correctly at the end of eighth grade. Or just have K-8 schools. Yeah, that's my one opinion about public school. That's the only opinion that anyone needs to have about public school. That's the only question that's being debated. Where should middle school start? Also, public school should be mandatory (laughs) and there should be no homeschooling or private school. There, that's the end of my reasonable beliefs. Simple, easy to put into effect. I'm sure they will be widely popular and no one could have any reason to disagree with any of them. And we should just move on into giving advice now that I've solved the education crisis. Really glad we've been so productive already. Yeah, absolutely. Would you please read our first letter uh, while I try to get my tongue out of my cheek? (laughs) (laughs) All right. This first letter has the subject line, at wit's end. My ex-boyfriend, parentheses, American, owes me money, and I don't know how to successfully ask for it back. We broke up several months ago, but at the time, he had already planned to visit me in France and go on vacation with me and one of my close friends. He decided he'd still come since he had, quote, nothing better to do, unquote and had already paid for his plane ticket. Needless to say, the vacation was a disaster. On the first day, his American bank card was apparently eaten by a cash machine, so he relied on me to pay for everything and was stuck without money. Perhaps I was naive to pay for things, but well, he had no way of getting money since he didn't have a European bank. He was also an asshole to me and my friend. After the trip ended, he contacted me constantly with long and emotional messages to the point where I had to tell him I didn't want to stay in contact anymore. The problem is, he still owes me all the money from the trip. It has been three months. Every time I ask for it back, he has another excuse for why he hasn't paid me and uses my overture to start another conversation that I don't want to have. I'll survive financially if he never pays me back, but it's still enough money, a fourth of my monthly salary, that I really do want to get it back, if at all possible. Do you have any advice for how to best navigate the situation? Thank you. I I will say one of the things that I really appreciated about this letter was that it gave me the opportunity to Google, uh, does France have small claims court? And the answer is basically no. But uh, I really like that the closest equivalent is called tribunal d'instance. Also, I don't think someone will be extradited from America to France. Well, right, because that was my second thought was then like... Can you file a claim in the court of first instance against an American national? Uh, And Google just didn't have anything to say to me, but I I think I can safely take that answer as a no. So, yeah, I imagine like me, you have fairly quickly arrived at what feels like a pretty obvious answer, which is you're out of money. Yeah. But do you have anything to add to that besides you're out of money? Yeah, basically from sentence one of this letter, I was just like, Nope, you're never seeing that money again. It's it's not going to happen. You're just out of luck. So it's like, in some way, it's a very open and shut case. I just don't think this person is going to see the money again. That being said, I, <laughs> I mean, like, I understand that it's a lot of money. And if they're willing to take something that has like a 5% chance of working, then I could give them some advice with the caveat that I don't think it will work. But, you know, if you want to at least say that you tried everything, you could do this. Well, I want to hear it now. Um, Okay, so basically this is where 
my experience as a middle school math teacher is relevant because when I was teaching middle school, a method that I learned was like the broken record method. And, you know, I think in this case, the techniques that you use on teenagers can be used for this ex-boyfriend as well. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, But basically, like, if a student just was trying to get me into an argument so that they could keep stalling and not work on math homework, then another teacher suggested that I just use the broken record method, which is basically like if I give them a direction and they try to argue with me or whatever, I just repeat it. If I'm just like, hey, put that marker down, uh, they might be like, why? Is the marker going to kill me? Like, do you think I'm going to draw all over everything? And like, they're trying to goad me so that I can be like, no, this is the reason that you put the marker down, you blah, 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 blah. It's a distraction. And instead, I'm just like, hey, put the marker down. And then they'll try and say something else like, well, like, I have the right to have a marker. And I'll just be like, hey, put the marker down and just like, give them nothing, basically, just like keep repeating the same direction over and over so that they never have It's like the opposite of the yes and principle at improv. Like you're just no butting them so they have nothing to respond to. And similarly for this guy, you could just literally say the same sentence every single time he ever contacts you, which is, you owe me this amount of money. Here is my Venmo. And then literally like every single time he contacts you in any way, do not say anything except that sentence and your Venmo handle or whatever, whatever way he can pay you. I I think that also struck me reading this because, you know, it, it wasn't 100% clear to me whether this is like a guy who had a really specific scam going or if he was just like kind of a jerk who was like willing to exploit a situation once he found himself in it. But like either way, that line about he couldn't pay me back because he doesn't have a European bank immediately was like, what? But like, I don't have a European bank either, but most banks, unless you belong to like an incredibly small local credit union, they're still aware of other countries. Like if you call Chase or Bank of America and you're like, I'm going to be in Europe next month, they'll, you could still get your money, even if you, for some reason, lost your card. And, and as you say too, like there's PayPal and Venmo. There's all kinds of ways to get people money internationally. Like I wish I could go back in time, letter writer, and encourage you when he said that to say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Let's call your bank. Uh, and refuse to buy him stuff. But unfortunately, we can't do that. Also, if you lose your bank card in a foreign country, you should probably pause before you go to the Louvre or whatever and just focus all your attention on getting your bank card back. Yeah. Before you do anything else. You know, letter writer, I think the the most you're going to be able to get out of the situation is maybe look back and reflect, all right, if I had to do any of this over again, I would have done something different when me and my boyfriend broke up and he said, but I already bought a plane ticket. I might as well fly out to see you. There, you had an opportunity to say, you might fly out to France, but we're not hanging out. I don't want to do that. That would have fixed it. Or later, if he said, my card is gone. I don't have any money. You could have said, let me help you find the phone number for your bank. I will not be able to advance you any money. That would have also been a a, a better solution for your problem. Or even, do you have PayPal? Give me some money right now. Um, would have been a better solution. So like there were a lot of different ways you could have avoided this and you you have now learned a valuable lesson in people pleasing. But yeah, the only other thought I had was if it's really like I really want this money and I want to exhaust all my possibilities, uh, you could do something that I don't recommend, but you could just like email everyone this guy knows 
you know, friends, family, exes, former coworkers, find out whatever contact information might be publicly available, look at the people he follows on social media, and just send them messages about how he owes you money in the hopes that you might humiliate him into giving you some money. I don't think it'll work. Uh, I think it'll make you look pretty unreasonable. Uh, it'll probably look like a big scam. It'll be like, why am I getting all these emails from some French lady about some money you owe her? But you could do it. That would potentially be one last way you could try to get that money. It's just email everyone this guy knows and try to make him feel so embarrassed that he gives you money out of shame. But I don't think it will be effective. Yeah. You could also fly to America, break into his house, and you know take the money back. But again, that would be illegal. So also not something I would recommend. There's very few actually recommendable options yeah. in this case. Except I do recommend never talking to him again. Yeah, I think the letter writer on some level like included all of these details because they're like she's a little bit aware. Like, I know if I had this to do over again, I would do a lot differently. And I think that's the most you're going to get out of this situation. So because I don't think it would be super effective and I think the blowback on you would be unpleasant, it would make you look, you know, pretty, pretty un- unreasonable. I-, I don't think you should blow up this guy's spot and email all his buddies I think you should block him and never pay for a partner's vacation again. Yeah. In general, my rule is if I lend money to someone, I act like I'm never getting it back. Like just in general, even if it's a nice person that I trust to pay me back, unless I like specifically write up a contract for the loan and like have it signed and have it be, there be a due date with interest and stuff. I'm going to assume if I give someone money, it's nice if they lend it back to me, but um never going to see it again. And don't give more money than I would be willing to part with forever. I think there's a reason that that's like pretty standard advice. I think it's probably pretty good. And certainly, um, I think whenever somebody says you have to lend me money because some emergency just happened and I'm like freaking out, it can feel like, oh my God, it's an emergency. Don't think, just do. And then you can end up in a tight spot. And I think it would have, you know, really benefited you in the moment to say, is it actually true? that without a European bank, you can't access your own money? Does that sound reasonable? If I ask other people, do they back me up or do they say, no, that's nuts. You can just call your bank. Like you had opportunities in that moment to find out if what he was saying was true rather than just, ah, this is uncomfortable. Here's some money. Um, And now in the future, you can act differently. And uh, I'm glad that it won't bankrupt you because again, just I don't think small claims court is going to be your friend. I don't think you're going to be able to email his boss so many times that his boss is like, you should give this girl her money. You know, like I say that out loud. I'm like, what is? what are the odds that that's going to work? Very slim, very slim. Might be kind of fun to just act uh, wild, but I don't think it will get you money. The only thing that I want to add is you could, if you wanted to, pay this forward. Find somebody who lives in another country, start going out with them, and then break up with them, but then say you're going to come visit them and then fake that your card has been lost and and just scam off of them for the next couple of weeks. But then the, the cycle will continue indefinitely and you'll probably feel pretty bad. And you'd still be out the money you paid for the plane ticket. So don't do that. So basically start a relationship Ponzi scheme? Just pay it forward. You know, it happened to me. Now I have to do it to somebody else. It's like the it follows of small scale vacation scams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't vacation with exes unless you're like, we broke up 10 years ago and we're besties now. Yeah, especially if they say that they're coming because they have nothing better to do. Yeah, 
that would have been a great opportunity to say, I will not be meeting you at the airport and we will not be hanging out. I'm really sorry. That sounds like an awful and expensive trip. And I'm really glad that it's over. But also you can go to France alone and have a grand old time. Well, yeah, because she lives there. She's French. Well, I'm just saying he could have gone to France alone and had a grand old time. Yes. Makes and so much more prob- sense. I was like, why would you advise her to go to France? She's already there. <laughs> she could go to a different part of France when she knows he's going to be in town. Just say, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I actually planned a vacation to the opposite side of the country uh, that day. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I will be in Normandy. I'm sorry to miss you. Do you have any final thoughts uh, for this letter writer, one one high school teacher to another. I, I do think I edited this out, but the letter writer did mention that she's a high school teacher. Oh, well, I hope that her students treat her better than her ex-boyfriend. I, I got to say, I was a little I should have left that in because I was like, man, if this guy could scam you this easily, how much trouble do your students get you into? Because I feel like one thing that I know of high school students is they can smell a mark. Yeah, but I don't think she would like have a high school student try and get her to pay for a vacation for them. That never happened to me with my middle schoolers. I just was thinking of like, in terms of high school students who are great at like identifying which teachers always like bend really easily when you say that you need extensions or when you try to tell them to like redo their curriculum or just like do whatever they can to like take advantage of your trusting nature. I wouldn't be too hard on this letter writer because... Uh, I understand she was in a situation where she felt like, you know, she had to help her ex-boyfriend. But yeah, that's just no for next time. And hopefully there's never a next time. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. All right, that's it. I want to move on because this letter just is too sad. So uh, we will move on to our next letter, which is also sad, but in a different way. And the subject here is when does her life get to start? I'm living in a college dorm with a roommate and I would like to help her. It's the first time either of us have been away from our families, but her situation has been filled with abuse and trauma. Her mother is an alcoholic who has depended on my roommate to care for her and give her money ever since a young age. My roommate has mostly helped run the house and pay the bills ever since her dad left. She's confided in me that she thought college would bring freedom with it, but she's been sucked back into her mother's toxic cycle. I want to tell her to cut her mom off, but it's not that simple. Her mom can't be depended on to take care of her own bills and rent, even if she's cut off. When my roommate tries to put down boundaries and say she's not sending money after paying the rent, bills, and food delivery, her mom says she will go back to an abusive ex. 
I understand that addiction is a disease and her mother isn't being cruel on purpose, but my roommate is 18 and working so hard to make her own life. I hate to see her manipulated. My parents say to stay out of it, but my roommate waits tables almost every night and doesn't know what to do besides giving to her mom's demands for money, which she obviously spends on alcohol, to keep her out of an abusive relationship and or homelessness. My roommate says she can't afford rehab even if her mom was willing to go, but I know she can't live the rest of her life like this. What can an adult daughter do for an alcoholic mother when she doesn't want help? This one was really just moving, I think, especially because the letter writer, I think, is aware that she can't fix this problem for her roommate. But man, like 18, so it sounds like they're college freshmen. This is like her first time living with someone else. It's her first time living away from home. And she's clearly like a pretty compassionate and thoughtful and inquisitive person. And her roommate is going through something incredibly difficult. And, you know, she's just 18. Like, she is barely an adult. This is her first time away from home, too. And she's only just starting to get away from living with her mother. So I really had a lot of empathy for the letter writer. And I can certainly understand why her parents would suggest you can't fix this for her. But I also don't want to say to the letter writer, just totally say, this is your problem. I can't do anything. You'll get you know, she'll get help when she's ready. You need to go live your own life. Just like deal with it and move on. Like I, I want to acknowledge and and really like praise the letter writer's sensitivity here. Yeah, I felt the same way that, you know, I felt really a lot of compassion both for the letter writer and for the roommate. And it's obviously just a really, really tough situation, especially when, you know, the people involved are so young and just, you know, starting out independent lives. I think the thing that stood out to me was that last sentence, what can an adult daughter do for an alcoholic mother when she doesn't want help? Because to me, it felt like that was almost skipping a step since the letter writer is not the adult daughter. So really, the question is, what can one adult do for another adult who may or may not want help dealing with a third adult who definitely doesn't want help? So it's kind of like two layers deep, right? Like the roommate cannot do anything to make her mother change. And then similarly, the letter writer cannot do anything to make her roommate change. Um, And so I think the first question to ask is, is the roommate asking for help and asking for advice? You know, the letter does say that the roommate confides in the letter writer. Um, Obviously, they have like a, a pretty, you know, trusting relationship, which is great. But, you know, is the roommate saying like, I really don't know what to do. I need help. What should I, you know, can you give me some advice? Or is she saying something like, can you, like, I want to stand up to my mom, but I don't know how. Can you like help me out with that? You know, if so, I would have, you know, one answer for the letter writer. But if the roommate is not saying those things, then I kind of think that the only thing you can do is just keep being, you know, a good friend and, you know, listen be someone she trusts and confines in. But ultimately, like, you can't really make her change her relationship to her mother. She's going to have to kind of come to her conclusions on her own time. Yeah, I I think that's a really important distinction. So letter writer, I will add to that that I want to start with. Number one, uh, don't give your roommate money to send to her mother. Uh, I'm not saying that that's happened or that your roommate would ask you that lightly. Um, I'm just aware that that's not impossible. 
And I think one thing that will be really important for you is drawing a line between having empathy for your roommate and wanting to be of service to her where possible versus getting sucked in any of this yourself or enabling this like pretty bad dependency. Um, so I think that that's something that you should make as a rule for yourself that um, even if she were to ask, even if there was some crisis going on, that you would not do that. So I, I realize that's not something that you asked about, but I, I can't help but keep that in mind especially as an alcoholic in recovery myself, uh, it's like, well, yeah, that's probably going to happen down the line. It, either she's going to learn to have a new relationship with her mother's demands for money or she's going to start needing a lot of money and and you don't know yet which one it's going to be. So I think that's a, a place to start. And then, yeah, as as Sharon, you mentioned, if she is confiding in you, you know, you can ask, do you want advice right now? Do you just want to vent? Um, that's sort of a classic uh, way of checking in before potentially offering advice where none is wanted. Um, and you can also, I think, encourage her to take advantage of any on-campus counseling services. Um, not like, hey, stop talking to me about this, only go see a therapist. I don't mean like trying to offload her. I just mean in addition to that. Um, as well as, I don't know if she's ever gone to any Al-Anon or Alateen meetings but she might want to consider going to one now. There's also um, Adult Children of Alcoholics, uh, which has a website that's just adultchildren.org, which is a very silly name for a very serious organization. But the website has, uh, you know, like ACA readings, uh, as well as some of the steps and traditions and like general resources, as well as like meeting glossaries. So you can find either local meetings or online and virtual meetings that she might be able to attend. And again, it can just be really helpful to find a community of other people who have been in similar situations, especially because my guess is if she's been helping her mom run the house for so many years um, as a very young child, she probably very early on learned how to present like togetherness and strength to the outside world and keep a lot of secrets. So sometimes what can be really helpful about those meetings is you start to hear things that you thought only ever happened to you and that were too shameful to ever discuss with anybody else. And you realize, oh, that's not just me. I'm not alone. That That is something other people have to deal with. And that might be really useful. Again, can't make her if she doesn't want to go. And certainly if you ask and she says, no, I just wanted to share. I don't want any suggestions. Um, don't push it. But that might be one area where you're able to like point her in a direction of more targeted support than just one well-meaning roommate can give her. And then, you know, beyond that, try to find a good balance between like hearing her out when she needs to vent versus, you know, if she wants to talk about her mom just around the clock and you can't do that much. Setting some kind of limit there, I think would be totally fine. You can say it gently. You can say, I know we've been talking about this for the last hour. Uh, I, I really want to um, move on for a little bit and encourage you if you have like more to share, we can talk again later. You don't have to say it like a robot, but just it's okay to sometimes say, I've hit my limit of this conversation for now, not never bring it up again. I'm exhausted. Your problem is boring now. Just let's take a break. I agree with all that. I think that's really good advice and a good way to be supportive to your friend. And I'd also add, if your friend does say something to you like, I really want to, you know, cut off my mom or stop giving her money, but then she'll go back to her abusive ex. Like you can tell her that actually what the choice of whether or not she goes back to her abusive ex has nothing to do with you. You know, your roommate could totally cut your mom off and she could go back to her abusive ex or your roommate could give in to every demand and constantly give her money and she could still go back to her abusive ex. Like, no matter what, it is her choice 
who, you know, like it is the mother's choice what she decides to do and what your roommate does is not forcing her to do anything. She absolutely has the choice to do what she wants. So it's not, you can just reiterate to your roommate, like that is not your fault. Like you do not control that particular outcome. It may feel different about the paying for rent stuff because, you know, I understand if if your roommate doesn't pay for rent, like she will get evicted. That's a more direct link, but there is no direct link between, oh, I stopped giving her what she wanted. And so inevitably, you know, it's 100% causal that she went back to her abusive ex. Like she absolutely had the choice to not do that if she did not want to. Yeah, and you know, I think there's also one of those things where this can really easily just be a you're right, you're right, I know you're right situation where it'll be one thing for her to hear you occasionally reiterate like she does have other options. This is not in a it's not a fair thing for her to say to you. I'm really sorry she said that to you. That's deeply manipulative and untrue. And she's also like 18. She she's terrified for her mother's well-being, clearly. And that's that's a huge it's not going to just be the work of a moment for her to just like cut her off and get over it. So it's also possible that this might take years um, for her to consider doing something else besides sending her mother money all the time. And so just like for your roommate, one of the questions she has to answer is how can I develop a sane, stable, peaceful life that does not depend upon my mother getting sober? The question then for you is, how do I have a, an affectionate, caring, supportive relationship with my roommate, even if she never fixes her problem of being codependent with her mother? How will I make sure I don't take all that on for myself, try to manage it for her, try to fix the situation for her, attempt to tell her what to do all the time? Um, how will I make sure that you know I can do my best to be you know a useful, caring person in her life? but also not let my own serenity or peacefulness rest on her fixing this problem. And that's hard to do. And I can understand why it felt a little bit maybe dismissive of your parents to say, just stay out of it. Um, So I think some sort of balance between staying out of it and fixing it for her, um, there's a middle way. Yeah, I agree. I think when your parents told you to stay out of it, they're primarily caring about you and like making sure that you set the right boundaries because you could also get you, the letter writer, could also get really, you know, hurt and sucked into a very, you know, toxic situation. Not that I'm saying that's, like, definitely going to happen, but, like, I can understand why your parents were concerned and felt like, okay, safest thing is for you to just not say anything. But I think you can continue to, like, be, you know, a good friend, someone that your roommate feels that they can trust and can find in, and at the same time just accept that, like, your roommate is only just now for the first time ever like living on her own and just starting to break free of these sort of toxic cycles. Um, and so it's going to take time, right? And you, it yeah. will happen on her own time. Yeah. And, you know, you may find at some point if you're having a conversation where she's open to um, thinking through questions or considering things from another point of view, uh, again, I don't think it's as easy as just like she says, we can't afford rehab. Therefore, you say, I looked up a bunch of like free and low cost rehabs in the area, as well as like a hotline, as well as the possibility of free 12 step meetings that don't require rehab. And it's not like if you just answer that question, the problem will be solved. It's more like, I hear you. That makes sense. What do you think is a reasonable plan if your mother never chooses to get sober? Like, what are your alternatives? Um, And again, she might not have a great answer for that right away, but it is a useful question to think about like, okay, 
she doesn't want to go to rehab. She doesn't want to consider alternatives to rehab. What are my alternatives to doing this forever? So I think that's all I've got on this one. I'm really sorry. Again, just, you know, you can encourage her on some fronts. Don't belabor any points if she seems kind of overwhelmed. Understand that this is probably not a cycle that's going to get fixed in the next semester. Um, and try to also do things that, you know, you enjoy and that are meaningful to you without saying, I'm just going to stay out of it. That's just your problem. Do you have any final thoughts before we move on to our next one? I mean, I guess if the roommate does ask for advice about how to not give the mother more money, like you could suggest if she isn't doing it already to like have some kind of auto pay set up for the bills that are essential so that like the roommate is not giving her mother money to pay for that stuff, but just like Mm -hmm. the roommate pays for it directly. And then everything that's not essential, like you block her on, sorry, not you, but the roommate may consider blocking her on all other ways to like give money directly, like Venmo and PayPal and things like that, because maybe that will make it easier to say like, all right, I directly pay all these bills that are 100% essential. Everything else, like I cannot pay her. Like I do not have a European bank card. Uh, It is impossible. Yeah, if anything, she should be getting financial advice from the ex-boyfriend in the last letter because that's a guy with robust financial boundaries. He doesn't pay for anything he doesn't want to. There you go. Just just hook them up. It'll fix it all. Are you interested in hearing an update from a letter writer? Ooh, this yes. is a fake question because I don't care if you say no. I'm very excited. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so this is an update from a letter writer from a few weeks ago. The subject was resentfully in love. And this was from somebody who was themselves primarily interested in monogamy, but were in love with a guy who was polyamorous. So, um, Oh, I remember this one. I do too. I do too. So, I mean, obviously I do. I recorded it and it was a few weeks ago. Um, it would be weirder if I didn't. Here we go. In the words of another share, way harsh, Ty but thank you for telling me to snap out of it. I actually spoke to him a few weeks ago after I submitted this question and before I heard the podcast episode. The upshot is things are fine and I did not spontaneously combust. I felt a little heart sore for a while afterwards, but much better for having cleared the air with him. I am keenly aware that the heartache I felt in the lead up to talking to him was self-inflicted and indulgent, Molly had it exactly right, at least this largely in my head melodramatic emotional entanglement was better than nothing, or so my reasoning went. I'd like to think it wouldn't have gone on for so long if not for isolating together through the pandemic, but a little self-knowledge goes a long way. For what it's worth, I do know the difference between commitment and monogamy. Fretting about how I would experience the former in an imaginary poly relationship doesn't exactly substitute for experience, but I've got the ontological differences squared away, thanks to you and to Molly for your words of wisdom. Oh, letter writer, thank you so much for writing. And I accept and I think, you know, uh, respectfully submit to your feedback that uh, I laid it on a little bit thick. So uh, I will, in the future, in similar situations, dial back the harshness by a good 25%. I'm, I'm just so glad to hear about this. I'm so glad you got to talk to him about it. And, um, you know, so much of, I think, the strictness I was feeling with you was just real memories of my past self. So I really, really, really relate to how you were feeling. And I'm really proud of you for having an honest conversation, sharing what you were feeling, not letting that get in the way of, you know, your fear of disagreement or um, being totally sundered from someone you really cared about. 
Um, this sounds like real growth and real self-awareness. And I, once again, I retract 25% of my strictness to you and you have all of my support and blessings. And uh, I, lo- I, I love an update that's like, I talked, I faced my fear, I'm doing all right. Yeah, that's great. It's great to hear. And, you know, I don't judge the letter writer too harshly because there's really nothing more fun than being like hopelessly in unrequited love and just being like, ah, I'll never get over this heartbreak. Like I, most people only get to experience that like a few times in their adolescence and their twenties. So just like, I could totally see milking it for what it's worth. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's more pleasurable at a slight remove when it's a little bit more in retrospect. Um, but I do agree that there's a real pleasure to be had in that kind of like, oh, my feelings are so intense and there's nowhere for them to go. I'm so like replete with sensitivities. And I do think that's one of the, one of the upsides to intense unrequited love. And um, it also speaks, you know, well about your capacity to love. And I do believe that in a future relationship, you're going to be able to express that capacity to love really, really well to someone who, who wants what you have to give. I have one more, not update, but this is suggested advice about another letter from a listener. I should have like a, a term for that kind of letter. It's not update, but it's something. Feedback? Feedback. I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> so this is um, to the student loan sibling, the person who was sort of toying with the idea of asking their not so great parents for some extra money to make up for the fact that they had paid back some of their siblings' student loans. So the subject of this letter is, been there, it doesn't help. To the student loan sibling, I write from the future. Please go to therapy because no matter what financial request you make, even if your parents give you the $60,000 with a full heart, it really may not be enough. I was the older sibling who had things together and who ended up with student debt while my younger brother got more financial support due to having other challenges I did not. My parents eventually realized this imbalance and started occasionally paying me things like $10,000 for a worthless used car and eventually paying off my student loans. But being on the other side, I can share that this doesn't take away from the struggle from when I had those student loans or all the other comparisons I've held from my life to my brother's. Ultimately, those hurts and pains were never just about the money. They were a lot more to do with how my parents chose to parent, about their weaknesses, some of their accidental failures, and some of their proactive failures to really support me. Money was a quantitative marker of that deficiency, so it was easy to prove. But even when the balance sheet was fixed, it really wasn't everything. I'm about five years older than you, and I was in my mid-30s when my parents paid off all my student loans because they said they realized it was unfair. I really wish I could tell you it made me feel better. I'm so glad you wrote in to suggest that. I think, again, it's great um, to remind the letter writer that the money will not address anything outside of the money and that therapy is also going to be a good outlet. But, you know, at, at the risk of being too flippant, I know it didn't make you feel better, but it did tangibly change the amount of money you owed. So I think maybe this is more about just like being sure to reframe your perspective rather than to think getting the money will make everything feel good because it would surely be worse to feel the same sort of emotional injustice and owe the money, right? I mean, yes, it is just helpful to not have to pay off student loans. But I overall, I think this letter is pretty wise in that just identifying it's not really about the money 
right? Because like even the original letter writer right. wasn't like, oh, I'm like in desperate financial straits and I need this money. It was just more like, well, this just feels unfair. And it would help, to be fair. They were like, it, it, you know, I, I'm not in desperate straits, but it would definitely help. Oh, yeah. Um, it would definitely help. But at the end of the day, like it helps financially, but it's not going to change your feelings about your parents. Yeah. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to offer advice to a bunch of strangers. Um, uh, well, I just want to say, Danny, thank you because I've been listening to uh, your podcast for a really long time back when it was uh, Dear Prudy. Uh, so at least since like 2018, I think. And mm-hmm. I feel like actually listening to you week after week has helped me in my life. Um, because I've just absorbed a lot of lessons from noticing that people tend to have a lot of really similar problems. And often those solutions, uh, you know, obviously are different for every single one, but there's definitely common themes, like the Mm. theme of, you know, needing to communicate your feelings and not just like silently seething in resentment without ever telling someone while you're mad at them. (laughs) The theme of break up with your boyfriend slash divorce your husband slash quit your job, which is just, you know, usually great advice. Um, Just the theme of like, sometimes the most terrible thing will happen and you just need to be prepared for it or you just need to prepare it if someone never changes. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I feel like all of these, uh, you know, uh, themes are some things that I've internalized in my own life and uh, so thank you for hosting this podcast. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I can't tell you how much that means to get to hear. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad we got to have you on the show and um, hope you get to come back sometime soon. Yeah. I mean, that would be great. I, I finally, instead of just listening to the podcast in my car and then pausing it and imagining and giving a a monologue to no audience about how I would answer the questions, I actually answered the questions. Oh man, I will say one thing I really miss about cars is all the self-righteous monologues I've delivered to strangers and former lovers and uh, old relatives. It's, you, you can't do that as readily uh, on public transportation, which is the one downside to abolishing car culture. Yeah, there's that. Before I let the rest of you go, I'm going to read one letter briefly uh, and put out a call for answers from you. This is the sort of question I come across not infrequently. I don't always know exactly how to advise a letter writer. Uh, So if there's anybody, especially anyone with sort of uh, medical or public health expertise, um, but, but also just anyone familiar with the sort of dynamics involved here who have any thoughts they think might be helpful to the letter writer, please write in, let me know, and I will read them on the air. So the subject is mad about masking. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I work in a public-facing job at a large private university. I've worked here for a year now, and I'm struggling with masking. Half my coworkers wear masks, but only about 10% of the students and other people on campus do. The university has rolled back all COVID safety measures, including testing. They say they'll bring back restrictions if COVID gets worse, but if they're not testing the community... How will I even know? Being out of step on this makes me feel resentful of everyone around me. I don't want to be sitting at my desk, quietly seething at 19-year-olds who I know ultimately are not to blame as much as the administration and society at large. The resentment doesn't make me feel good, and it's not in line with my values. At the same time, I think that I'm justified in being angry about the way that the powers that be have abandoned any effort at COVID safety. 
I'm working on an article for the campus newspaper about my concerns. I've brought it up as a workplace safety issue with my union rep, and I've been talking to my therapist and friends about it. I know the right attitude is to be angry with those in power, but it's hard not to be frustrated with the people I see every day. How can I keep my anger focused upward and try to have a greater spirit of generosity toward those around me? So if you have any thoughts uh, and feelings on the subject that you think would be useful, emphasis on think would be useful, not just I am also mad and I want to be mad with you, which I can absolutely understand and relate to, but I do want to try to give this letter writer advice rather than just um, a chorus of me too. So thank you again and see you soon. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I thought it was very interesting that the letter writer used the term uh, relationship escalator. I guessed what it meant based on context, but I also, you know, Googled it just to be sure. And every single, you know, article about the relationship escalator was something like how to escape the relationship escalator. Right. It's like if you're using that expression, (laughs) you don't want to do it. Right. It's like, so maybe she meant it neutrally, but I also sensed a bit of ambivalence of like, do you want to be on this escalator? Would you prefer to stay on the same floor? Right. People who want that just call it commitment. Yeah. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.